Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Unapologetic Woman. Today is a really special day, and it's because I am interviewing an incredible, resilient, unapologetic woman that I'm going to call her that from the beginning. She's someone who I honestly have been told a lot of times myself, like, oh, you're her. And I'm like, well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. And her name is Aparna. And if you know her, she has been a participant on the Indian matchmaking show on Netflix, which is rated in the top five in so many countries. And she is also the founder of My Golden Balloon, a travel company that does a lot of excursions all around the world. And now she is an author of the book, She's Unlikable and Other Lies That Bring Women Down. I am so excited to welcome you, Aparna, to this Unapologetic Woman podcast, because if there's anyone who understands what it means to be unapologetic, it's you. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. And I love your premise. I wish we had more unapologetic women. I think we're in a moment in time where a lot of women are veering that way. And I, for one, am very excited to see the changes and the involvement of our societies because we are the women making waves and we are the women making things happen. So here's to us. The yes, <laughs> absolutely. I love that. You know, I think that what's really interesting is that there's in society always being told like women need to be strong women. We respect you. You know, if we look at actually, even just within the Indian culture and you look at Hinduism, you have these goddesses that are put on this like pedestal and this platform of like, you know, respect them. However, when it comes to reality and it comes to real life, if there is a woman who is strong, she's considered difficult, challenging. She is not marriable. She is, you know, just a list of things that are challenging and she's not easy to be around. And so what we ideally say and what we actually realistically do and the actions are really palpable. And I feel like you of all people really felt that after Indian matchmaking. Yeah, I was surprised to see how much vitriol came through about my portrayal. And I'm very careful to call it a portrayal because obviously no one is as good or as bad as they come across on reality TV because it's just media, it's just consumption of media. Absolutely. But I thought it was interesting um, to see how many men were so mad. Some women, yes, but so many men. And I think it's interesting because I'm a millennial, a late geriatric millennial, I guess they're called. Millennial. Yeah, I like that. And so I grew up with everyone, including my teachers and my society and my family telling me you can be whatever you want to be. You can be an astronaut. You can be a hairdresser. You can be a stay-at-home mom. You can be a career woman. You can be anything. 
And I think a lot of us were told that, and we as women now in our early 30s, mid 30s, even late 20s, we're saying, yeah, we were taught that. And then I think somewhere along the line, we forgot to teach our brothers and our cousins and our, our peers, because what's happening is that our male counterparts are not on board. And that's an alarming thing that I witnessed after the show. I did not expect that. In my little bubble, they're on board. Across the world, it turns out they're not. And that's mm-hmm. what Netflix does, though. It takes these shows across the world. It's not just America. It's not just Canada. I was talking to the Jewish community out of London. The Koreans have a matchmaking process called Dashun that they told me about. You know, in Singapore, the women rallied around me. Like the Singaporean women love Aparna from Indian matchmaking. And (laughs) that was surprising to me. But I think that there's so many cultural norms that we as a humankind are trying to break down. It's not a a particular culture, it's a humankind culture. And that is one of what you just mentioned, where we have kind of diminished the role of the woman as multifaceted. And we've genderized, gender, that's a word I made up. I'm sure that's not a word. We've these gendered roles that are actually really harmful to men and women. And I think that came out in Pradhaman's depiction on the show. A lot of people wanted to talk to me about that. And I'm not sure how they saw the connection until one said, well, you were overly masculine or unlikable. And he was overly feminine in his hobbies and his interests. And I said, no, we were just two people. And I think that, but that's what the show kind of highlighted that, that we do it to men too, that if a man wants to cook or, you know, dresses puja, you know, deities in a certain way, we're suddenly calling him gay or, or closeted right. in some way. And if a woman wants to have a successful career, her own home, her dog, a loving relationship with her family, but also a partner that she believes she deserves, then all of a sudden she's unlikable. And I think that's troubling, but it's also good that we're having these conversations because I think we can do better as a society. And I think that these conversations progress us towards doing better. Absolutely. I mean, you said so much in there. And I think that one of the biggest problems is really the fact that, you know, if we look at who's been making the decisions in our world overall for the hundreds of years, it's been men being put in that leadership platform. And so women have really only started to scale up very, very recently. And it becomes very an uncomfortable conversation because if it's not something that the person who's in the leadership role is being affected by, then why bother with it? So personally and transparently, I don't watch reality TV shows. I absolutely hate them and boils my blood. And the reason for that is exactly where I feel like even if it's a show that you're watching just because you're just so tired from work and you're mindlessly like just want to watch something, it's bullying. There's so much bullying that happens. And for me as a clinical therapist, as you know, in psychology and a mindset leadership, I can't out of integrity watch this kind of shows. I will watch the reality shows like the kindness project and things that are really uplifting, but the Indian matchmaking, I had to watch it just with, you know, of course being Indian and just wanting to see what it's all about. And I remember just yelling at the TV screen and my mom's like, why are you watching it? If you're going to just yell the whole time. And every time, you know, I remember from day one, I was always like, they're portraying Aparna wrong. They're not portraying her. And my undergrad, I was a film major. So I see that, you know, there's so much editing that happens. And what I think is really important to recognize is that media plays such a large role in the way that society is shaped. Like it's kind of a two-way street, like because of the way society is running, media is going to create shows accordingly, but shows and the way that things are portrayed are then just enabling and nurturing exactly that and condoning to those messages. What I want to know from you is 
prior to Indian matchmaking in your life, you know, you growing up in a single mother home, you growing up, deciding to become a lawyer, you are very active in the social justice space. And what drew you to all of this? I want to go back and make one quick comment on the media. You definitely highlighted one great point about the way that it bullies and it shapes, but also when I saw the show, I obviously did not agree with my portrayal and I did not appreciate, in fact, I was deeply hurt and scared by the death threats and cyberbullying that came my way. But what came forth quite quickly was the media. In my defense, Oprah Magazine's Elena Nicolo within, I think, three days had an article in defense of Aparna from Indian matchmaking. Vulture followed suit, New York Times, Washington Post, The New Yorker. They amplified my voice in ways that I could have never done by myself. I would have just been a whisperer if that media had not stepped up behind me. And the media was made up of journalists, and those journalists were 99% female. I have now done over 200 to 250 media outlets, podcasts, engagement speakings, all of that. And I'm a majority of the time so impressed by the women that I'm meeting that are amplifying me. And I think that's a good point that there's media that kind of throws in these stereotypes and, and highlights lights them and enables them. And then there's the journalists behind it who are saying, no, we're better than that. And we're going to give this woman a voice and we're going to prop her up and we're going to give her engagement. And I think that's what turned everything around for me. I had those opportunities and I will forever be grateful to those women who listened to my story and then amplified it around the world. I mean, I talked to Hong Kong, like the highest rated newspapers in, in places like Hong Kong and India and, and Korea. I would have never been able to reach those audiences. So yes, that is something I'm very grateful for. And I see both sides of the coin for media representation and media power. If you don't mind, I'd actually like to say to that, you know, but that's exactly what this movement has been, what that awareness has been is that now we're having media that, you know, and we have media that's very responsible and they're really showing, you know, that we're going to talk about, you know, how these shows are creating these societal norms that we don't need to be playing into anymore. And so the fact that they were giving you that voice, you know, and that platform is incredible. And that's where you've been able to use this platform in such a significant way that, you know, I see how many people love you and you stand for that woman who is strong and resilient and it's incredible. And it is thankful to those individuals. And hopefully that media start to infiltrate and become more of the norm versus yeah. the one that's really used purely for entertainment. Yeah. And I think it'll take time. The journalists I spoke to definitely were all than me. I mean, I don't think I spoke to anyone even my age. They were all like early thirties or late twenties, some of them younger. And I was so inspired by them. I was so moved by them because of the work that they're doing. And a lot of them were South Asian, but if they weren't, they were at least a woman of color or a woman yeah. who is allied, you know, these kinds of representations of media that's harmful to women and women of color and South Asian women. And I don't know. I was very moved. I was very touched. I remain that way too. I have a very positive relationship with the media in my mind. That's amazing. Yeah. Which is very unusual, I get, but I was very lucky and I know that and I'm very grateful. So I don't know. I think, but I think that leads into your question entirely. Yeah. I've had a very strong female circle my whole life and this media was an extension of that. And I wonder if what we put out into the universe just comes back to us, you know, it's twofold, tenfold, because I did grow up with a strong mother 
who was actually very tolerant of any of our wishes and goals in the sense that my sister has a passport that's been expired for two years and loves woodworking and has been happily married to a white guy for 10 years. And my mom loves that. I'm, you know, constantly running across the globe. I'm you know, still looking for my perfect match. I started law and then quit law last year. And my mom loves that. So I think she understands that we're individuals and she nurtures that. And she says, live your best life, make all your mistakes. And I trust you. And I believe in you. And having that trust and belief is so important for a young woman, for an adult woman, for any woman, especially when it comes from a familial structure. And so what I saw as an extension of that was these women that stepped up for me in the media. I have the closest girlfriends in the world. I have like 40 that I consider my best friends because I collect them. I collect them from middle school to high school to a law school to undergrad to my study abroad to moving to New York. I mean, I have been blessed tenfold. And I think because of that, it was almost meant to be that I was the one that was vilified. And then I was the one who stood up for myself. And I was the one that women stood behind. I understand there's so many women today who still don't like my portrayal of Aparna on the show. And I kind of feel sorry for them. I do, because that's a reflection of who they, they see themselves as. It's not a reflection of me at all. And once I understood that, I was a whole lot less hurt or, or defeated by what had happened to me and saw it more as a reflection of who they are and I can't help them through that and that's not the world we live in I don't believe and so you know that's just where we are there's always going to be people who love you and hate you no matter what platform you're on whether it's a global one or whether it's in your workplace your school place your whatsapp groups and so I think that's what became applicable to this storyline is that I'm you and you're me and we're all in the same not battle even, but environment where we come up against these obstacles and challenges and they don't have to be worldwide scales. They can be the tiniest bubble that we live in and we're still up against the same thing. Absolutely. You said so much there that I want to comment on, but I just, you know, the main overall theme there that I agree with you on is that when someone is uncomfortable with seeing a strong woman, you know, and saying like, well, no, that's not strong. That's being difficult. It's really looking at, well, what are the stories and the narratives that have been told to you growing up? And how are you playing into that instead of already immediately pointing fingers at somebody else? And it's looking at, you know, what has that journey been for you? And I think that one thing that I do is like, I have a lot of empathy for someone who's not there yet because that's their journey. And so to be able to separate and distinguish that that's even a huge thing. Cause a lot of women don't do that. They start to personalize and they take on everyone's opinions to the point where it really makes them feel defeated. I want to know how did you build your resilience that with all of this coming through, and obviously, you know, you, like you said, you've grown up with a very strong mother who really saw you for you as an individual and not for you as an Indian girl growing up in Texas, all of that. But having had such a strong community growing up with going on this show and then having trolls and bullying and cyberbullying and death threats and all of that, which I'm so sorry they had to go through. Did that waver your thoughts about yourself at any point? Of course. I mean, no one is prepared for what I went through. I mean, I could write a handbook and I could still not prepare you for what's going to happen after you go on a show that goes viral during a pandemic across 150 countries and find out that your edit is the worst one. But I went on a reality show, first of all, not realizing it was a reality show, I was told it was a docuseries, but I went on it in my 30s. And I think that gave me a leg up on a lot of the women who go through reality television in their early 20s, mid 20s. I would have had a totally different experience and not been able to handle it with this amount of perseverance or grit if I was 10 years younger. So it was just age that was on my side at a certain point. 
Also, I've had an interesting life. I write about it in my book. I think that all the lessons that I've learned, they kind of prepared me for what I could arguably say you can't be prepared for. But it was the grit. It was the resilience. It was the solutions oriented. I could have ducked my head into the sand. You know, I talked to all of these reality star women. I connected with them after the show, the the women that were vilified. And they told me, oh, just turn your phone off for three months, you know, go somewhere quiet. It'll blow over. And I didn't want it to blow over because that meant my voice wasn't heard. And so I did not take their advice. And I went, I think, an absolutely different route than most of these vilified women. And I kind of did it in a way for them too. If they weren't prepared or ready, that's fine. I respect them and their journey. And I think they're all very strong in their own right. And they just had a different tactic than me. And if in my tactic, I could also stand up for them, then that was something incredible I could do. But I talk about this in my book, but I went through Hurricane Harvey here in Houston, Texas, where one morning I woke up and my house was flooded and I lost everything I owned with no warning. I had no idea that the hurricane would hit my home and never flooded before. I don't live in a floodplain. And all of a sudden I didn't have socks. I didn't have a mattress. I didn't have a place to live for nine months. I didn't have all the things I treasured and had saved up for a beautiful couch. They were all gone. They were on the, the curb. What does that mean for someone when one day they wake up and their life is altered like that? Well, in a way, that's what happened with Indian matchmaking. So maybe mm-hmm. I didn't lose my personal things, but I lost a lot. I lost my anonymity. I lost my ability to be myself, whatever that looks like. Because years from now, I will go to a dinner party. I'll be like 30 years from now, even, or 30 months from now. Or I don't know when. And someone will whisper, I hate that girl. She was terrible on television. And I can never change that. There's nothing I can say or do to change that. And I think that's an interesting concept. You know, like I can't change that I lost all my worldly possessions one day. I can't change what happened after Indian matchmaking. And there's an acceptance in that, in sudden loss, in sudden gains. I gained a lot all of a sudden too, right? I gained opportunities and they weren't as all of a sudden, they were a little more, you know, in months in, but it's still considered, you know, quick. I never thought I would write a memoir at the age of 35. I thought I didn't have anything to say. It turns out I have a lot to say. It turns out that someone was going to give me a platform to publish this book. I don't know who's going to read the book. I don't know if it's going to be my 10 best friends or 10 million people or somewhere in between, but I put my story out there and I was given that opportunity. So sudden losses come with sudden gains. And I've always learned that. I've always known that. And I think that prepared me as best as I could be prepared for what happened with life after new matchmaking. You have such a positive attitude and you have such a positive resilience. I mean, just even being able to flip that right there, right? That like, I've had losses, I've had these negative experiences, but through that, these are the lessons I learned. This is the outcome that I had, you know, in the moment, it may not seem like it's so positive, but it's like your strength really shines through when you speak. Mm-hmm. And what I want to know though, is like, you know, it sounds like because of having a strong mother and that environment that you grew up, whether you believed in yourself it was able to pull you through some of the most challenging times. How would you share that for someone who may not be as strong, who is trying to find their voice, who's trying to get stronger? What kind of advice would you give them? Kind of the purpose of my book. Each chapter is a rule to living life, according to me. You know, it's interesting. One of my chapters is called Learn from the Women Before You. But a lot of people ask me who your role model is. And I think they want me to say something like, Laura Steinem, Michelle Obama. But I'm like, my nanny, my, I call her my big nanny, my grandmother, my mother. I think that the women with the stories that are similar to ours, but also different than ours, are the ones that we grow from the most. You know, they're also Cindy. They also had their own trials and tribulations. They were also going through moments of time and history that 
are different than mine, but they did their best. You know, I think those women are my role models. And I would say to someone, don't look afar, look close because your role models are right in front of you. And they've learned things that you don't have to learn. You don't have to go through it yourself to learn the lesson. You can learn the lessons from their example and from their teachings and from empathizing with them. Maybe they didn't do things the way that you would have done them, but they also weren't given the resources and opportunities. So I think there's lessons in empathy and compassion for the people that came before us that can also teach us to be that way with our, I am empathetic to myself because of the empathy and compassion I give to my grandmother and my great grandmother and my mother. That's a big piece of advice I would give to any woman. And I think that's applicable, whether you're in a tiny town in, you know, Bangladesh or in San Francisco, you know, in Pacific Heights, I think the same story rings true. Absolutely. And I think that's really sage advice because, you know, we always look at celebrities and other people on a platform that are like, wow, look at them. They've got it all together. And I think one of the most critical parts is to see that they're human and every human carries their own level of wounds. Mm -hmm. And even with our own family members, our parents, if we can really look at them, not just as parents, but look at them as they're an individual that was affected by their own upbringing, they were affected by their experiences, then that's what led into me. But now I get to really see them for who they are. Then it lets us set us apart from putting people on a pedestal and saying that we're not good enough because we're not there yet versus looking at like, hey, here's some, you know, ways that they learn their challenges, their weaknesses, and I can learn from that and take it to a next level. In your book and what you have in your book, like what is the whole purpose? Like what are you hoping for women to really get out of it? And is it just for women or do you feel like anyone can really take your rules and apply it for themselves? I'm sure anyone could, but I do believe that likely 99.9% of my readers will be women. It's a story of womanhood. It's a story that is my personal story, but also many of our stories. And it's about toxic work environments. It's about autoimmune conditions. It's about being diagnosed with one at 16. What does that mean? It's about the women that come before us and what we can learn from them. It's about loss and grief, but also about resilience and grit. Yeah, these are life lessons, but I think that they acutely affect women in a different way because of life and society and cultural norms. And I believe that it'll resonate, hopefully resonate with women. I don't know. I just, I have this deep connection with being a woman and these connections in my life. It's just something I've always had. And I've never even really had great guy friends. I have a few good guy friends, but like the way that I connect with women has always been profound for me in my growth and my journey. And I feel this is an extension of that. It's a sharing of that. It's a vulnerability. It's a surrendering of my story to the world. And I don't even think I realized that until recently when we finished it. And I was like, oh, darn, this is very private and it is going very public but I think that's part of my saving grace in a way it was the same on Indian matchmaking when I taped I mean at that time we never knew it would air in every country that anyone would ever watch it but I still understood vaguely that it would go to a public space but I didn't act that way because I didn't comprehend it when I was creating it which is taping it right and I still feel that that's carried over into this book so one would think what did she not learn her lesson but in a way I'm glad I don't learn that lesson that I create from a place of sharing it as if I'm sharing it with my best friend or my family and then when it goes global in a certain way I'm almost shocked every time. I'm like, oh how did this just become so public because I'm actually a very private person by nature which is dichotomous in its own right now, especially, but 
Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see February, how this is received, by whom it's received, and who resonates with it and how, because I don't even know or comprehend that yet. I just created what felt right and authentic to me, what aligned with myself and my values. And that's all I could do. That's how I write. So, you know, I actually disagree with you. I don't think of it as, well, did she not learn her lesson? I look at it more as you had this opportunity, you showed the world, you know, or there was a portrayal that was shown to the world. You took that to advocate for yourself and for women who are like you and other and role modeled what it really means. And now that platform has given you a different platform to be able to have this book so that it can even reach more people and connect with others in a way where they can continue to like go back to it every time they feel a little uncertain about themselves, insecure about themselves. And I see it more as not you not learning your lesson, but using your platform as another way to really advocate and showcase like what it means to be an unapologetic woman. I love that. I like that. We're flipping the switch today. We are. Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, that's where I want to know, like, it just sounds like obviously this upbringing you've had and everything that it's really built the strength in you as being a strong woman. And that's where it seems that whenever there's an opportunity, it's like, I must go forth with it. I'm not going to sit back. And so when you are, you know, about to launch this book, you're about to put it out there. I know yesterday, I think the second season of Indian matchmaking was just announced. So how are you feeling about all of that going forward? I'm excited to see season two. Obviously, I want to see what the creator of the show, Smriti, does with it. Everyone wants to know if I'm going to be on it. I am single. I could be on it, hypothetically. But for me, I just want to see more. I want to see more South Asian representation. I want to see my book on a bookshelf that has my face on it, which is a big... I don't know. We went back and forth with the cover because a lot of covers nowadays are just pretty script and like abstract art. If you go to a bookstore, which I hadn't done until very recently in Paris, I went to a bookstore, but people don't put their faces on books. But I thought that's what this story is about. But it's going to be also an Indian woman on a bookshelf, like her face. And I thought I have never seen an Indian woman's face on a book before. I've seen Indian women write books, but I'm not seeing their face on it. And in a way that was important to me and I agreed with it. I mean, I didn't choose that initially, but when it was presented to me, I said, yes, I think that could be important and I'm behind it. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like seeing my face multiplied in many places, but I think it was a moment, it will be a moment where South Asian women can see themselves at Barnes and Noble, hopefully on a, a main shelf. I think there's a moment of representation in all that we do and, and season two and the book is just one step closer. Never have I ever seen two was amazing. I think family karma season two, one day we're going to have not just season twos, but season 25s or 10 more shows that are like it. You know, I'm very motivated to see more of that. I'm very encouraged and I'm very enthusiastic. I don't even have to be a part of it. I'd love to though, be a part of it, like (laughs) be a part of that movement and that entertainment world or that literature world or the media world, because I believe I have a lot more to say on it. But even if I'm watching from the sidelines, I think it's a beautiful thing to watch. I think you already are a part of it. You've been a part of it with being on Indian matchmaking, having your book out. And honestly, even just online on Instagram and social media, your platform, what you are doing, the conversations you're having. One of the things that really stood out to me about you compared to other cast members or whatever, was that you took your platform, not just to really discuss you, but you took your platform to talk about what's happening with COVID, to talk about social justice, to talk about BLM, to talk about things that really matter in this world from a perspective of you. And, you know, of course, all the expertise you also bring on as a lawyer, as your experience, 
But that I think is so powerful because every voice adds on and may not be that you're on another show again or whatever it may be, but you now have this platform that you're using. And I think that is what, you know, whenever I've had conversations with my friends about if we get into debates about any matchmaking, it's always been that look at what that person is doing with their platform. Are they using it to just feed into themselves or are they using it to feed into, you know, society and make a really big difference? And that's what I see in you. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to know is that platform that you now have been given this responsibility that you've been given with it. What do you see beyond your book as well for yourself? Like, you know, you said that you left law and now you're in this different world that you're starting to learn and, you know, grow into yourself and maybe it's uncomfortable right now, but what do you see for yourself as you're using this platform? I want to continue just being my authentic self. I don't create things for my platform. I share what's happening in my life in the hope that it resonates with someone. I mean, some of the best comments I get are, I needed to see this today, or I'm 100% behind you on this, because it means that what I'm saying means something to someone. And so, yeah, I can take a pretty picture or two, but that's never been who I am. It's sharing my words through my writing. It's sharing my thoughts on the world around me. I have a lot of thoughts about the world around me because I'm very in tune with current events and movements. I travel a lot. So it was interesting to be in Europe right now as they're mandating vaccines versus here in America when we're seeing, especially in Texas, you know, our ICUs are full. This is the person I've always been and I'm just extending it to a larger platform. And there's no large intent at this point, except to keep sharing in the hopes that I'm just another voice, but potentially one that's knowledgeable or educated or wanting to share knowledge and education. I don't know if I'm both, but you know, it's an attempt. It's a hope. It's a vision of starting conversations that are bigger than, than me. But it always stems from me because it's my life that I'm sharing. So like today's post, I, I was like, oh, I, I haven't posted in a few days. And I was like, oh, I had this great talk with his women in a company in Singapore last night. So it was 10 p.m. my time. I was super jet lagged. I did actually fallen asleep on the couch and my alarm went off being like, you're supposed to be on Zoom right now. And I loved my conversation with those 30 women at that company. And I shared it today. And one of their questions really hit home with me. And I thought this is a question that could actually hit home with a lot of people. And so that's it. It's not curated. I'm not going to ever probably show you how to put makeup. As you can see, I'm not wearing any makeup. (laughs) Those listening cannot see that, but I'm not. I'm not a wellness guru. I don't have two cute kids to show you like their antics. I, you know, that's not who I am. And for a while, I thought that's who I should be because that's what I'm fed on my Instagram feed. And then I thought we can only be ourselves. And either that hits home or resonates with people or it doesn't. And I'm not going to change my patterns or my thoughts or my beliefs or my sharing of them because I want to be more sellable or more engaged. I love my engagement on social media. I love the community I've built, but I'm willing to only do it on my terms. And I think that's what's so incredible. And one question I had for you is for the women that are, you know, in the workplace and, you know, a lot of the listeners that I have, they are entrepreneurs and they've gone off on their own. And now they're starting to lead a team. They're starting to build that. But one of the biggest hurdles is, you know, being likable and instead of being respected and really seeing themselves as someone that, you know, can role model success for other women in their teams. But that feeling of, am I liked, you know, are they talking about me, that paranoia that comes around, that is something that I think can resonate no matter where you are. So what kind of advice would you give for someone who is like, you know, when you were in your law firm in the space that you're in right now, how did you really stay so true to knowing yourself 
and being able to be so comfortable with yourself that you're able to separate from other people's opinions, thoughts, and matters. There's never any choice for me, honestly. A lot of my bosses didn't like me when I was a lawyer because I didn't want to be there. And it was very obvious, I guess, now in hindsight. And I had to be okay with that because I wanted to do the minimum of the maximum. Yeah. I wanted to do a good job, serve my clients, but I wasn't willing to ever go the extra mile for that job. I didn't love it enough. I wanted to save my extra mile energy reserves for my golden balloon or for traveling the world or for spending time with my family or taking care of my autoimmune condition and making sure. I'm in peak wellness so that I can continue to work. And that was never appreciated by my bosses. Now my peers loved me, but I had to be okay with that because I had to keep checking in myself. Are you doing what's right for you? And if I was doing what was right for me, if I was aligning myself with the values that I had, if I was creating a world that I wanted, then I had to be okay with people not liking me or my bosses being a little peeved with me all the time or irritated or or talking behind my back. And honestly, I was like, I'm doing doing all my work. I'm not, you know, shirking in any way. And if you don't want me here, you can let me know. But it was never to that point. It was just irritating to them. It was just like a nuisance that like, oh, and she took four days off. She went to Egypt. And I said, who cares where I went? If I'd gone to New Orleans, it wouldn't have been mad. But instead I got on a plane on a Wednesday night and went to Egypt until Sunday and they got mad. And I'm like, it was two days right. of work. But I think they'll, you'll always make someone upset. But as long as you are doing what's in line with you and your needs and your desires and your vision for your future, short-term and long-term, then you can't be worried about people liking you or not. You know, I think that's so, so important. What you said also just speaks so much about the workaholic culture that we have in the U.S. And someone who has autoimmune and I have autoimmune, you know, that can really be damaging because there's this idea notion that, you know, if I'm not working, I'm not productive, I'm not good. But really looking at the life that you've created for yourself where it's like my family matters to me. I remember in one article you had even said, or maybe it was an interview as well, that, you know, you will find me sitting on my porch or going for walks with my mom at 5 p.m. And that was something that was important to you. And it was like, when I hear that, I see that, you know, it's like you're truly living that out. And so when there's an organization or a team that doesn't have their values in alignment, that means it's not the right fit. And by the way, I hear it all the time from lawyers that, you know, every lawyer I've met never wants to be a lawyer. (laughs) It's just toxic and it's sad and I don't want to be a part of it, but I do feel bad for my peers that are left behind in it because I believe they deserve better. Now they sometimes don't believe they deserve better. And I think that's where we also have to keep our mouth shut but because you have a belief you can't impose that on others so I had to leave the profession some of my best friends at the office that I last worked at long term all left and why are we also best friends a part of us we all laugh we said we were the ones that got away felt that we deserved better that we deserved balance that we deserved our families that we deserved our health one got cancer when he was you know in his early 30s one had um, a lot of infertility issues one just was plain unhappy like it mm-hmm. just wasn't for her and you're allowed to say that that this isn't in line with what i want for my future and just because i chose it when i was 22 or 7 or 6 or 18 doesn't mean I have to stay here. And it's interesting on the show, people got really mad. There was a lot of vitriol of this girl doesn't even love her job. And I'm like, no, but it pays off my student loans. It pays my bills. It creates a savings account. Like everyone wants to know how I'm living right now in sabbatical. I'm like, it's called a savings account. And I built it on blood and sweat over the past 10 years so that I can live for years without working a traditional nine to five job or an eight to eight job. So I made the sacrifices during that time period to live the life I'm living right now. 
And I think that everyone wants to romanticize that. Like, I'm just floating along to Paris. And I'm like, yeah, but I did this with the money that I worked hard for. And you can do it too. There's an opportunity for all of us to live the life that we want. And sometimes it's not right now. It's eight years down the road, six years down the road. And that's okay. Because every day that I was in that job, I knew that one day I was going to leave that place. And I want to create security for myself when that happened. I couldn't rely on me having a partner that was going to pay my bills, you know, when I left, I was under the impression that I might leave before that partner ever comes along. And that means that I had to pay for my lifestyle. And I think these are things that women don't talk about, about their finances, about security, about risk aversion, about investments. And so I try to bring that as much to light as possible and try to be transparent. Because I don't think that there's any reason we shouldn't be discussing these things. I think that it's very helpful. And I wish more people around me had discussed it before I leapt into this adventure. And so I kind of take it upon myself to see if maybe I can share. A lot of women still ask me, they watched my search for a home in Tennessee in October last year, and I didn't buy that home. And they still DM me, like it's been almost a year. Why did you not buy that home? What did you decide to do instead? And I tell them, I'm like, oh, I invested in cryptocurrency for now. It wasn't the right market for a home, blah, 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 whatever it is. But they have an interest. They're specifically asking me because I assume that there's a will or a need inside of them to do something similar. And I'm willing to share. And if we had more of the people willing to share, not just rich mascara to use, but how to make financial decisions as a single woman, I think that it would be really helpful to our community and to the larger community as a whole. Absolutely. I think, you know, so one thing my mom always said to me growing up is that it's so important for a woman to be financially independent and to stand on her own feet. And that really stayed ingrained in me. And so, you know, even now when I have conversations with others and it's exactly what you said, it's like, you can be whatever it is you want to be. And, you know, I think we've romanticized having a purpose with your careers and being someone who's this like strong professional that's rising and, you know, going up the ladder. When I look at it as some people are very okay having a job because because all their passions and loves are outside of that. And this career is just funding it. And others are more passionate about having that career and going up the ladder or creating their own businesses. And that's okay. And they don't necessarily want to have a family or they can have both, but at different times. And I think that's really important. What you just touched on is that as women, it's really important to really recognize what is it that you want and trying to separate it from the narrative that's been given to you from the day you were born of you're supposed to get go to a great college, get a good job, get married, have a house, have 2.5 kids, get your designer dog, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So it's like really being able to separate yourself. And I do think that the older you do get when you're in your 30s, you start to have those questions with yourself anyways, because you're at a point where you're a little bit an outlier anyways from society's norms. And so you have those questions for yourself. And one of the things that you have done as well for yourself is like, you did the law job, didn't really care for it, left it, you know, show gave you a great platform. But beyond that, like you have a deep passion for travel and you created my golden balloon and you have these experiences that you take people on. And you've also mentioned that you have autoimmune as well, you know, and with COVID going on, how have all of those been playing in for you right now? I mean, they make up who I am. They're my fabric. So I don't really separate them into elements. I just see it as my totality and it's not simple or easy, but neither is anybody's totality. You know, we all come with our own. I think you said it earlier. We all come with our own wounds. We all come with our own experiences. We all come with our own triumphs and challenges. And I've become better at listening to the universe around me. I call that my messages from the universe or even my gut. And there's a phrase, gut feelings are guardian angels. And I think I ignored them for so long out of fear of financial insecurity or not 
being a lawyer or not being successful or, you know, I had gone to all the right schools, I had done all the right things and I wanted to continue that path. So I ignored my gut feelings and ignored the universe's messages to me. And now that I'm following them, oh my gosh, I'm so much happier. I mean, I have so much less money when I'm so much happier. And isn't that an amazing lesson to learn? Mm. I don't care that I'm learning at 36 now, but starting at 34. I don't care that this is the least money I've ever made in my life. I'm the happiest I've ever been. And when things go wrong, I don't fight against them and control them. For instance, I was supposed to be in New York all summer and then my sublet fell through, then my second sublet my third sublet. And I thought, I think the universe is telling me I'm not supposed to be there this summer. Whereas before I would have just rallied, I would have stayed in a hotel for 40 days just to prove that like I had to be in New York all summer. And I thought, well, what's safe right now? I think France is letting us in without a PCR test. Well, I've always wanted to spend more time in Paris. I don't speak the language, but I don't really mind. Now we have Google Translate and smartphones that make life so much easier than 15 years ago. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to take this as a sign that I'm not supposed to be in New York and I'm going to go to Paris. And I had the most magical three weeks there. I mean, I can't imagine now that I could have made any other decision, but it was hard. It was challenging. I'd sit down with my family. My mom's like, that's a dumb idea. Just come home to tech. If you don't have a sublet or, or find someone, keep pushing, you'll find someone. And I said, no, I think what's happening for me is that I'm going to rent a place in Paris for three weeks and I'm going to go and I'm going to be alone. And then she was like, wait, no, I'm coming. <laughs> and then my friend was like, no, wait, I'm coming for three days. So I ended up being alone for half the time and being with friends and my mom for half the time. And I ended up doing what was right for me. I would have never heard those voices three years ago, one year ago even. And I'm so grateful that that's what I've tapped into because I think it's leading me to my path not society's path, not the milestones, but my path. And that's going to look a lot different than everyone else's. And I'm okay with that. I have to be okay with that. And every time I'm not okay with them, like, but look what you got, look what you gained. Wow. It just sounds like you've really shifted from operating from a space of ego to operating from a space of heart. And by being really in tune with that and recognizing like, okay, I'm in my space of heart. This is where I want to be. This is who I am it's like you're flowing now and things are just happening and they're just happening in a way, you know, there's a research that shows that actually you only need about $75,000 for the happiness after that, no matter if you make a hundred thousand, 150,000, 200,000, the level of happiness doesn't change. It's not actually correlated to that amount. And so it sounds like, you know, you're in that position where you're like, I'm really enjoying happiness. I always say that money doesn't bring happiness. It brings peace of mind. Mm -hmm. So if you obviously to be responsible and you have your money intact, you know right. how to use it and, and invest it, whatever. But beyond that, it's like, what brings you joy? And you're really living that out, which is incredible, yeah. Verna. When I was in Paris, I didn't have to check work email ever. Ugh. I was crazy before I was in Egypt for four days and they were sending me assignments because they were being spiteful. And now I'm like, <laughs> man, I can just go to a place for 18, no, 20 days and be yeah. fine happy and be in the moment and eat my croissant on a street at 3 p.m. on a Monday. And I didn't even know it was a Monday. Someone had to remind me. And but that's yeah. what I think you're showing with your role modeling, right? That like, if you choose you, regardless of what that is, whether it's just changing to a different organization that is more in alignment with your values, maybe it's actually taking the risk on yourself and becoming an entrepreneur, whatever it is. But as long as you are in alignment with you, you're not going to mess up. Like it's going to be okay. And even if you do, you'll learn from that. So that's what I think is beautiful. I have two questions for you that I ask everyone at the end. I'm excited to hear your answers. <laughs> First one is what do you describe as the unapologetic woman? Huh? That's a good one. She's strong in her resolve to be herself. She's unapologetically herself and she wants that she's inspired by that. And she wants to be in that all the time. And who has that been for you? 
myself. Why can't we say ourselves? I, I think it. that I am constantly learning from myself. I'm learning by checking in with myself. I'm learning by looking for those messages. Like I told you, I'm learning for reflecting on my past, the things I loved, the things I want to mimic for the future, the things I hated or despised and the things I want to cut from my future. And I think I can learn from myself and we can all learn from ourselves and we can be our own unapologetic woman. Ah, I love that so much. I, so I have to tell you right now, so I've been like recording podcast episodes this whole week and there have been women that have just been stumped on answering that question because they feel like they have to answer someone outside of them. Yeah. And, you know, they'll say like, I don't know anyone who's like that. One is like, okay, well, are you now idealizing this description? Second is, you know, there've been a couple of women who've chosen themselves and I yeah. celebrate that because I always say, and this, I talk about this on my platform all the time is that women need to learn to brag about themselves. And I choose the word brag because we've already been conditioned to be so grounded down to earth and have humility, humble, but that humble to others means that even if you say like, I really like myself automatically sounds arrogant. So by being able to choose yourself, and I mean, I agree, I think that there couldn't be any more of an unapologetic woman than Aparna. So by doing that, you know, I think it's really showing other women that it may feel uncomfortable to say me, but own it because it's, you are the one that's going through your personal journey. So Thank you, Aparna, so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for sharing so much insight. I know there's going to be so many women that are going to connect with you. They're going to connect with everything that you're saying. They're probably going to have their own aha moments. And I'd love for them to know how they can connect with you on Instagram, your book when it's releasing in February. So everyone, please get a copy. I already got mine. So I'd love for you to share where they can find that. So my book is available right now on Amazon for pre-order. And also I found out on Powell's bookstores. So if you support independent bookstores, that is the first major one that's carrying it. Hopefully more independent bookstores will carry it closer to the time of release, which is February 8th, 2022. And it's called She's Unlikable and Other Lies That Bring Women Down. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at my full name at Aparna Shawak Romani. It's a mouthful, but I think you can find me and I do answer on my own DMs. So people really do connect with me there. I love the communication that I have with people on that platform. Yeah, sometimes I get a few days behind, but I always respond if I can. So if anyone wants to chat or connect there, you can find me on Instagram. Amazing. And if you want to travel with Aparna, you can always find my golden balloon and see what she's up to. I believe you said that next is Morocco. Morocco is the hope. We're doing a risk assessment right now, the Delta variant. And if people feel safe traveling, it'll be a scouting trip. It's special when it's a scouting trip. It means that I am also exploring the place for the first time with a group. I may have already been there. I've I've not obviously been to Morocco, but I have been to Morocco, but I've never been with the logistics of a group of six to eight to 10. So scouting trips are the first time I go for my golden balloon. And hopefully we're going in October, but we'll see. I, I really am very safety oriented, maybe a little too much so, but I don't want to take a group if it's not responsible. And so that's what we're trying to figure out right now, but uh-huh. stay tuned, join our wait list, mygoldenballoon.com. And hopefully we'll have good updates, safe updates soon. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Aparna. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for listening to the unapologetic woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe. So you'll get real time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry. DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. 
If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your next epiphany.